Welcome back to Wake Up with Nubian Tigers Talk, a podcast brought to you by a group of Black Princetonians, where we talk about issues that impact our Black and Brown communities. My name is Michelle Jacobs, and I'm here with my co-host, Ray Smalls. And Ray, it's been a while since we were on the air. Yes, uh, 2024 is here. <laughs> and the whole month already has gone by, Michelle, before we've gotten to have a chance to get together again. Right, right. Well, you know, life. <laughs> Tell me life about does it. That. Yeah, yeah. But right, the at the end of uh, Jesse Milan's interview last season, yes, he yes. mentioned that there were some issues that the black community just wouldn't talk about. HIV/AIDS was one of them. Right. So we threw a survey up on Mastodon to see, to ask the people, are there issues that the black community won't talk about, and what are they? And what was the what was their response? Oh, they responded. Responded. <laughs> there were a bunch of issues on the list. But right. rather than go through all the issues, our guest today is going to talk about every single one of them. Fantastic. So I'm really excited to present our guest today, who is Reverend Benjamin Liddell Reynolds. Reverend Reynolds is a native of Colorado, where he received his Bachelor of Arts in Communication from the University of Denver, and his Master of Divinity from Illith School of Theology, which is also in Denver. He served in various pastoral roles outside of Chicago, where he was the interim pastor for the historic First Congregational United Church of Christ in Naperville, Illinois. He was also at the First Church of the Brethren on Chicago's West Side, and he served as an assistant vice president and dean of students at Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary in Evanston. Dr. Reynolds is an established activist and organizes around issues of equality, access, and community dialogue. He served as the director of the LGBTQ Religious Studies Center at Chicago Theological Seminary, and he was the director of the Faith Communities for Illinois Unites for Marriage Equality campaign. Dr. Reynolds also was the lead consultant for the Table to Action Project, bringing Chicago's diverse community of religious, academic, and moral leaders together for dialogue and collaboration to build a stronger ecumenical community in the city. Reverend Reynolds is currently the interim minister at People's Congregational Church in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show. Well, first, let me say thank you for inviting me to um, for this conversation. I think it's an important conversation to have. Um, recently, there's been some discussion around whether or not the church is still uh, relevant to the youth who are uh, carrying forward with the struggle for rights uh, today. So in an episode of uh, PBS show Making Black America, one minister commented that during the protests around the death of Michael Brown, the demonstrators told Reverend Sharpton and other clergy to go home. Has the relationship of the church changed in today's struggle for civil and human rights? In terms of the relationship uh, between uh, the young people and the church, the Black church specifically, I think um, the relationship between the church and social justice movements, particularly in the struggle for civil and human rights has evolved over time. Um, I think the black church historically has played a significant role in advancing social change and providing leadership in these movements. And there's been a growing sense of disillusionment, I think, among some young activists uh, today. 
one of the reasons that I think this dis distancing between young ac activists and traditional religious institutions may be is the perception that some churches have become disconnected from the day-to-day -day realities that concern marginalized communities. Uh, I think there's a sentiment among some activists that the church, particularly its leadership, has focused more on the institutional maintenance and conservative values rather than actively being engaged with the issues faced by marginalized groups. Um, it takes a lot to run a church. And as a church leader, I think we can become very consumed by doing that kind of work and not getting involved or not realizing what's happening outside of that, outside of the building itself. Um, but I also think that the rise of social media and the accessibility for alternative platforms for organizing and mobilizing have allowed young activists to find uh, ways of connecting and organizing outside of traditional religious institutions. Um, I think that they are creative um, and perhaps have in many ways been have access to tools that uh, the church itself is just trying to learn or is just trying to embrace. But I think also it's important to note that the church as a whole is, you know, it's not a monolithic entity and there are diverse perspectives and actions within different religious communities. Yeah, so I'm wondering how that disconnect um, but even if it's just perceived, might have happened. Um, I'm wondering, even amongst old civil rights uh, law activists, um, sometimes when I talk to them, it seems like they believe that once the civil uh, the voting rights bill was passed, um, uh, you know, the civil rights uh, bill was passed, and people started moving out of segregated environments, that somehow the struggle was over. So do, do you hear or see any kind of reaction like that within the church community? Well, I think that that some of that is true and is, there are different issues. Uh, I think the young people are more concerned about some of the issues that uh, the church itself may not be as connected to inequality, LGBTQ plus rights, gender equality, um, those issues are important and paramount to young people, and the church has 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 find ways to be more inclusive and diverse uh, and actively uh, involved in the pursuit of justice and equality in new ways. And, you know, uh, Reverend, that sets us up actually for uh, the next question, which revolves around some of the issues regarding HIV and AIDS in, in our communities, uh, which, you know, have been hit, you know, very hard starting 40 years ago. I had a, I had a family member that passed away from AIDS. He was only 24 years of age. And so uh, the churches at that time criticized those who were suffering, believe it or not. Among the Black churches in particular, what would you say is the current position with regards to um, HIV, AIDS? And then if you would take us from there to LGBTQ plus rights and how the church is either addressing or not addressing these issues, issues which are really, really important for young people today. Uh, it's, it's a very complicated uh, sort of situation. And I think a lot of it has to do with um, the church's conflict with being able to talk about issues of sexuality in general. 
whether that be heteronormative uh, sexuality or what would be called homosexual sexuality, that's not a word I would use, but same, um, same sex uh, relationships. And so part of my, I, you know, it's, it, I remember back in the day when the church was just uh, at a crippling place as it related to people who were living and dying with HIV and AIDS. And um, the black churches had to recognize uh, the importance of addressing these issues because the Black church also became not only infected, but affected by the disease itself. That is the numbers of, the growing numbers of individuals who were part of the church, who, who were dying, who were sick. And so the Black churches had to come up and realize that Public health that that the that these are public health issues. They're you know they're related to all of us, and that um, um, not not just people who are same sex can get HIV or die from AIDS. I remember when you know when it be, when HIV and AIDS first hit. I was pastoring a congregation in Colorado Springs, and it wasn't uh, a gay individual who contracted the disease uh, initially, it was a young woman in our congregation, a young woman who was pregnant and she wanted the congregation to know that she had HIV and 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 that after her the birth of her child, that the child did not have the disease. And part of that helped us as a congregation to be able to see the disease as a tool to educate. We had to become, to, to help our, not only the church, but the community educate. Uh, and I remember that we received grants from the state in order to begin doing um, some education around uh, HIV and AIDS in, in the state of Colorado at that time. The issue of you know, LGBTQ and HIV AIDS, I think they're, they're two separate issues and oftentimes they are sort of um, smashed together. Um, that in, you know, in in the minds of, of of early believers of the disease and the church, that somehow the disease uh, related to God's revenge on gay people, and as a result of that, it has crippled, or should I say, it has um, sort of uh, put a wedge between the, the the church and those who are living with the disease, or have family members who are living with disease, or have uh, folks who have been hurt by some of the previous acts that were take that have taken place between the church and individuals living with Reverend, if I can interrupt, that was helped by many conservative groups and you know very uh, and Christian groups, and I mean they all perpetuated that myth, yes. you know yes. about about the disease and about uh, uh, homosexual um, the homosexual lifestyle as they want to refer to it. You know, I agree. It, it was perpetuated. And I think um, churches that are wanting to survive have had to educate and become aware that that is not the case and 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 understand how one can get the disease and how one lives with the disease and how the disease is certainly not what it is today is not what it was 40 years ago. Um, uh, we thought that the disease uh, in the 80s was the worst thing that could happen. And of course, now we've lived long enough to know that COVID is worse probably than um, 
the disease of HIV and AIDS. Um, and I, you know, I, 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 my perspective of it is so different because my younger brother, who two years younger than I, um, right after the young woman in our congregation contracted the disease and we became very vocal about that, my young brother, two years younger, um, he also um, died with complications to the disease and um, our church embraced him. And, and the, the Black church really does have sort of this schizophrenia around uh, LGBTQ people and, and the disease itself. They sort of embrace some and then they don't embrace others. And perhaps if you're silent about your sexuality, then, um, then you can exist in, in the church. Some of the warmest places I have been have been the Black church that knew in their minds that I I was gay, uh, that's sort of to reveal that I am also gay, but but <laughs> but they knew that I was gay. In their minds, they knew that I was gay, but then when I actually said that I was gay, it became problematic. This divided mind uh, in the Black church. And I think there are people who still believe that a person who is uh, gay is going to hell. Mm. Uh, and persons such as myself who are gay and persons of faith the work that we have to do is try to live as transparently uh, in in our work as possible, uh, and 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 tell our story, uh, because the story is a great story to tell. Well, we appreciate you for that transparency. It um, it helps so much when a person who uh, is succeeding in what they're trying to accomplish is willing to come and speak out because I think you're right. And we see this all the time. Um, the gay people have been in the church for, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, they've, they've always been a part of our community. Most, of the, <laughs> most of the choir directors, you know, not to paint with a broad brush, but <laughs> careful, careful, Michelle, careful. <laughs> okay. I'm going to change it to many. <laughs> Who knows that these people, uh, you know, uh, do not uh, fit the uh, the gender identity uh, dictates of main society? But as long as you say, as long as you keep it quiet, uh, no one will get uh, too riled up about it. But we we want to see that end, and we want to see people being able to live their full lives transparently openly and being accepted within the community mm -hmm. uh, if you if you're able uh can you speak about the youth who who are lgbtq because i know here in dc um we have a huge um, unhoused population of lgbtq youth uh, who have been put out of their homes and their churches because they're not gender conforming. So, um, have you have you seen any of that in your church, or do you do you hear anything about that um, here locally? Um, I I am not aware of it uh, so much locally, but I am aware of it nationally. Uh, okay. And 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 again, I think it's 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 such a complicated uh, issue because we're talking about the issue of gender identity and LGBTQ inclusion, right? It's 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 complex. It's sensitive um, within religious com communities, but also I think that it's important to recognize that there are there's diversity within these communities and and perspectives uh, uh, on the matter that are very wide. So, 
some churches have been more resistant to accepting uh, and affirming LGBTQ individuals. And there are, are many examples of churches that have actively worked towards becoming more inclusive and, and becoming more welcoming. And these inclusive churches often emphasize the core values of love and compassion and acceptance as central to faith. Uh, and typically when we see that happen, then there becomes uh, a, a, a transparency and an embrace of gender identity and LGBTQ persons. The idea of addressing this issue while trying to stay true to faith dictates requires a willingness to be able to engage in dialogue. And I think, again, to be able to hear these stories and to be able to study and have reflection there are different interpretations of scripture and delving into those interpretations, I think, exploring different perspectives uh, within theological frameworks and listening to the experiences of the lived experiences of LGBTQ plus individuals and their allies. And by doing that, uh, I think that uh, the church has the promise of thriving and it also helps uh, in engaging interfaith conversations uh, that help to facilitate the process as well. If I may ask, uh, Reverend, when you speak to your congregation, how do you address them? How do they address you? Because I think one of the critical things, as you mentioned, is the conversation. How does a conversation originate when you speak to your congregation? And how do they interact with you? I, I mean, I because as you say, every institution is going to be different in terms of how they deal with their 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 um, worshipers. And so I, I'd be interested, I think we'd be interested to hear how you interact with your uh, with your people. Yeah, and, well, and if I could put a little uh, piece on top of that, I'm curious about how the older parishioners or worshipers, I'm, I'm not sure what the correct language is, but the people who go to your church, <laughs> the older people who go to your church, how well, are they receiving? Saints. Let's call them. Okay, saints. all right, that's good. We'll go with that. <laughs> well, um, I, you know, so I'm fairly new to the Washington D.C. area. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I moved here from Chicago and started working at a church here in May of last year. Um, and, you know, during the interviewing process, I had to be very transparent about who I am, right? Because I've already done the work <laughs> and been displaced by a congregation because of my sexuality. So I already know what that's like. Mm -hmm. um, so, and it was no problem. But I, one of the things that I recognized that once I got here and started working is that there was a little murmuring about, you know, you know, he's gay you know, and the, whatever. And, and so in order to silence that, um, and I'm a man of faith and I pray and I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in order to silence that, I had to stand up on a Sunday morning and weave into my sermon, my story of who I am and how I came to be who I am as a gay preacher. When I was able to reconcile the fact that I could be preacher. I was called to preach at the age of 14 and had preached since then. Uh, so that the fact that I could be preacher, be Christian, be teacher, be father, be all the things that I am and be gay. When I could reconcile that, 
you know, and mama and daddy knew to hell with everybody else, as far as I was concerned. But I, so, so I felt very comfortable telling the congregation and being very transparent. And I think that is the issue uh, or, or the way in which I've been able to navigate our congregation is to be transparent with them about uh, who I am. Well, you know, <laughs> as it turns out, um, it's become a thing because the church that I serve is not an open and affirming congregation. And that is to say, that it does not have an open statement on the website that say we accept uh, same gender loving individuals or gay individuals into this body and believe that they are also able to preach or be a you know lead ministry. We, we don't have that. But what we do have is, as we've indicated here, a number of people who have served in the capacity of leadership who have been gay. Who have played the music, played instruments, have led the music, have preached, etc. And in that way, it being present as someone who is same gender loving or gay in the community has been quite uh, accepting. My work is not to to move it out of that kind of silence or silo and move it into a more public conversation. Um, okay. And so. Um, you know, just, just last week, um, I, so I'm getting ready to get married. I get married on, um, February 14th. Oh, congratulations. Uh, congratulations. Yeah. So I'm getting married and we needed to, you know, my, my future husband comes to church with me. You know, it's no secret. This is, he, they're engaged. We, they, they got all of that, right? Well, we're getting married, you know, and to say that and to announce it. And so um, I wrote the letter, the congregation, a letter uh, in our monthly publication um, that went out on Sunday that just simply stated that, that, we, you know, when I came here, I was a single man, but God has blessed me. I found love. I feel happy. I feel supported. Uh, I think it is the thing that's going to help my ministry to thrive um, and, and, and it's not going to take away anything that has to do with my work with the congregation. If anything, it's going to give you more. And so that, that letter is, and, and I'm going to introduce him on the 18th to the congregation. So they know all of these things, but I think it's the transparency. So that mm. when you talk about the ways that I've been able to do it. And it, 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 it's still a mystery to me, but I think it is the gift that God gave me perhaps for all the hell I went through to get here. Right. Um, just a journey of trying to get others to understand who I am, which seems like it's been a lifelong journey. And I think the gift is that God has put me in a place to do ministry that has allowed me, at least in this moment, now we may get off of this podcast and I may not have a job. I don't know. <laughs> but at least at this moment, I am employed but, um, and I'm but getting married. You, you may not have a job, but you'll be married. <laughs> and he has a job so so we'll be okay <laughs> well we're hoping that doesn't happen because i've heard wonderful things from uh some of your congregation about uh, the energy and the spirit that you're bringing to them so um we, we're gonna hold out hope <laughs> that yeah, progress continues I, you know, I think the thing my dream is it's not just for me it's for everyone mm -hmm. and part of the reason I do this work is because I know there is a little Benjamin out there in the congregation who is watching and I want them to be empowered in ways that I was not. 
because you can imagine growing up in the late 60s and the early 70s. Oh, yeah. You could not be running around talking about you were gay. This is the thing that my father just resisted. I do not want my son to be a sissy. Mm. So mm -hmm. you, 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 so we, you know, you run that risk, and and I just, I think there are children who listen and watch, and they'll be uh, affirmed through through the work. Right, right. So let's quickly talk about another little point of tension uh, within the church, which uh, has to do with. Uh, the treatment of women mm -hmm. and how women are received and uh, perceived uh, within our black churches. So uh, it, it's been getting better in terms of you see more women uh, ministers and pastors and so forth, but there's still some underlying uh, misogyny, if I can use that word, um, uh, within our black churches. So what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. Um, you know, it's interesting because I see more and more women coming into ministry roles, very powerful women. And when I first began preaching, um, I, I was Baptist. And so um, we did not affirm women in ministry or the Baptist faith did not. And there are still Baptist people who do not. Um, and I've moved on from them. I probably can't even sit to have dinner with them because I've moved on from them so much. Um and, and so I do think that, you know, th there's this growing trend, I will say, of women who are coming into ministry. I worked for a seminary for a long time, and I was amazed that there were more women being called into ministry and taking advantage of an opportunity to come to seminary and, and, and get the tools that they needed to do their work. And they are some bad sisters. These girls are awesome. They are awesome, and and, and 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 rightly so. They are doing perhaps a better job than the men have done in the past. And the men preachers, we we've, we've made a mess of the church in many ways, and particularly in the black church, we've just made a mess of things. Not across the board, but in 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 a lot of instances, we've made a mess. And so we have these bad women who are coming along, who are able to sort of take the reins. But one of the, the things that I, I think has to happen is because true gender equality requires more of a holistic approach that involves not only having women in terms of representation in leadership levels, because if you go to any church, you'll look around, Black church, most of the folks in there are women, right? right. Uh, but, but beyond that, the leadership level, uh, I think we have to move from there to the fundamental shift in attitudes and practices within a church and, and faith community. And I'm not even sure what I'm talking about other than the fact that you can say one thing, believe one thing, and then do something totally different. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's a lot of the issues that we have in, in the black church, particularly as it relates to women, because we say that, you know, it's okay for women to preach, they can preach or, or they can be in leadership roles, but then how do we respect them? Right. How do we revere them? How is their treatment in leadership uh, different than the treatment of men in leadership? Right, right. So, right. so those are things that are concerning. Mm -hmm. you, you know, um, as Michelle has touched upon the uh, women in the church, one of the main issues or one of the big issues today has been about abortion. Mm. And how do the women that uh, are ministers that you know, 
how do they treat that topic with their um, with their worshipers? I, I think they recognize that reproductive decisions are deeply personal, and they should be made by women in cons in consultation with their own moral and religious and medical beliefs. That's how I. That's probably how I view it. But I think that's how most of the women that I'm in uh, I am acquainted with in ministry they feel the same way. And the reason why we ask is because. You know, it has been a political issue for not years, but decades, right? Yeah. Right. Uh, and one of the, uh, we've seen um, the rise of, of the phrase Christian nationalism, right? Mm. And for sure, they do not believe in abortion, right? Mm. And it's being used as, uh, it's the, the, the phrase Christian nationalism is being used in the press and in uh, some political movements. So what's your sense of what this means and how does it relate to black and brown faith-based communities? Well, I, you know, so the term Christian nationalism, um, as I understand it, refers to a belief system that somehow combines Christianity with a sense of national identity and political ideology. It asserts you know, that the United States should be governed by Christian principles and values, that, the, that Christianity should play a certain, uh, central role in shaping um, how laws are drafted and, and how policies are created. In terms of Black faith-based communities, historically, we've been at the forefront of social justice movements have been more focused on addressing systemic issues such as racial inequality and poverty and discrimination. And while I think there are members or groups within these communities who align with Christian nationalism, it does not represent the entirety of their beliefs or their practices. So so, so you don't think, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave it at that. That's a, that's a great sum up. <laughs> So that's I'm more interested in what you're going to say, Michelle. No, it's just interesting to me because we see um, some Black uh, people who are supposed to be Black people of faith coming forward and supporting uh, Donald Trump and uh, who has clearly espoused a plan that will be detrimental to all Black and Brown communities should he be reelected. So, you know, it's hard for, for me personally to reconcile. Uh, how how you can be a faith based person, and yeah. also support uh, someone who is against humanity, who has yeah. no empathy, who whose whose whole purpose in life is to cause hurt. Um, so, it, you know, it it just seems like a contradiction. So, you know, I'm hoping that our black and brown churches don't fall into that, but we know that some of them will. You know, I think we live in a society that that I would say is whitewashed, and they're oftentimes in black and brown communities, we are trying to be them uh, rather than to be who we really are in order to assimilate and be, you know, to, to be a part of that success. Of course, we have so many successful black and brown folks, uh, but for some reason, it's just we got to assimilate in order to become, you know, in order to be successful. Um, I see it so often and I, you know, maybe I'm out of my league mentioning it here, but I, you know, I just, you know, I personally, I'm attracted to black men. Right. Uh, but I see so many people who are successful scholars, uh, 
who are who are black, and the minute they get ascertain their success, they find some, a partner who is white. Um, so you know, and mm -hmm. I think we, we mm -hmm. love whomever we want to love, and and we should be affirmed in that. But I just, I you know, I don't know, I don't, I don't quite understand how it is that we become so whitewashed. You know, in the '60s when uh, we were, you know, marching for civil rights and freedom. A lot of folks felt like they were marching, you know, the black man, so I can go be with a white woman. You know, it's just, it's mm. sort of, it's, mm. it's sort of a, uh, uh, it's, it's bizarre to me. I, I don't, I don't understand it. So, <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's okay because we see, <laughs> we see it every day uh, yeah. in our professions. So, yeah, uh, I want to just take a quick step back. Um, and ask you, you mentioned before some of what has happened to the church uh, has been that especially young people have looked to social media for answers, okay? How do you, as a minister, as a man of faith, take social media and use it as a tool in your, um, you know, in your, with your congregation and with your, with your worshipers? Well, I, you know, I think one of the things is we incorporate it into into the worship, i.e., you know, we we live stream on Facebook, uh, so we're actually using social media in that way. But I I'm I'm on a, a sort of a, a pre Lent fast that prevents me from being active with Lent. I mean, with um, uh, social media these days. But I'm an advocate of social media. Uh, because it helps me to be in touch with the world. And so oftentimes when I am preaching, you will hear me make references to something that I said on Facebook or something that I heard on Facebook or in response to something on Facebook, you know. Um, so in that way, I think it sort of finds its way into the church. Um, our young people are social media advocates. And I think if we want to impact their lives, influence their lives, be a part of their lives, then we have to, you know, we have to be able to use it uh, in that that kind of technology in the church as well. So as usual, we we look up at the clock and we're like, oh, how did that happen? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you as a final question. Um, what is it that you want our listeners and our communities to know about today's faith-based communities? What's What's the parting words of wisdom you want to give us on that? Well, I think, you know, faith-based uh, communities or institutions, uh, in my mind, still continue to play a vital role in our society, providing spiritual guidance, uh, community support, a space for individuals to explore and deepen their faith. But I think it's also important to, to acknowledge that no institution is perfect and challenges exist in, in different communities. I think our challenge as, as a faith-based faith institution is to promote inclusivity, to respect diversity, and to address any biases or uh, exclusionary practices that may hinder the full development and employment of um, or empowerment of individuals within our institutions. And as I said before, by embracing love and compassion, uh, commitment to justice, faith-based institutions and communities have the potential to be transformative forces for positive change in our world. I believe that. 
Yes, those are great words to end on. Um, I hope what you believe is true <laughs> will we'll come to to fo come forward. Um, so let me um, thank you so much. That was uh, way more than we could have expected, and I think our listeners will really appreciate. Oh, what I, I was just going to ask Michelle <laughs> if I'll, any of our listeners would like to hear Reverend Reynolds. Uh, okay. uh, what, what, how would they access your um, your sermons or when you're live and you're speaking to your worshipers? Do you have a website? Is there a streaming link? How do we get a chance to hear more of your your um, your conversation with your congregants? Sure. Our uh, website is peopleschurchucc.org. Uh, and typically I preach every Sunday. Um, and you can go to the website and have an opportunity to uh, worship with us. Fantastic. Okay. Well, that's it for today's episode. And thank you so much for uh, coming on with us. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, I've enjoyed it. I probably overdid it, but I, <laughs> I, never, get never. <laughs> I get going. Michelle, that, that was fa a fascinating discussion. Um, you know, I just had the opportunity, as a matter of fact, to uh, be with uh, a young group of LGBTQ plus students uh, over the weekend. And um, I was just amazed and shocked as to how squared away and hip and cool and informed they all are from middle school on. And you know, we're living in a different world, whether the older people want to uh, see that or not. Um, and I just um, think Reverend Reynolds' presentation was just so excellent and so full of life and so exciting and so hopeful, right. not just about the LGBTQ issues, but just about the church and its importance uh, to the Black community and how that can all work out. So I'm hoping he's going to set the tone for some exciting shows that we'll have coming up this season. Well, and I'm hoping that our community comes out and supports people like him because he is doing and literally God's work in our community. Literally. If you like what you heard today, follow us on our website, www.nubiantigerspodcast.com, where you can get additional information about the show. And don't forget to check out our resource pages while you are on the site. You can find our podcast on YouTube on the Nubian Tigers podcast channel. And if you have a favorite podcast app, we're probably on it. Look for Nubian Tigers Talk. Looking forward to sharing some knowledge with you next time. Wake up, wake up, wake up.